Hello, and welcome to Today in STEM, as we discuss what's new in the realms of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, as all combine to make your world a better place. I'm your host, Wes Sumner. This new program gives you an inside look at all things STEM, hearing from experts, and relating their knowledge to our everyday lives. For our inaugural show, we're pleased to have as our guest the president of the Florida Institute of Technology, Dr. T. Dwayne McKay. Welcome, sir. Good morning, Wesley. Dr. McKay has years of experience in space-related enterprises as a researcher, an engineer, and an educator. He worked for NASA and was in charge of the space shuttle's main engines, so he knows a thing or two about rockets. And that's our topic today, commercial space travel and space tourism. Dr. McKay, we hear about, read about, see stories on an almost daily basis with the latest news from companies like SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin Galactic. Space tourism seems to be taking off, but it's not as easy or simple as it looks. It is rocket science, isn't it? Well, there's quite a bit of rocket science involved. There's no doubt about that. It's it's a complicated uh, program that has to be put together to launch anything into space, especially when humans are involved. And so I think the space tourism idea uh, is uh, something that's going to catch on and, and get uh, more and more attention and grow more and more. So, and so far, so good. With your extensive experience as a rocket scientist, if you will, tell us a bit about the space-related projects of which you are proudest over the course of your career. Oh, proudest. Well, I was always proud to get any of them completed, you know. <laughs> so and most of them were fairly successful. You know, I, I, you know, thinking back um, about it, my, my first real experience when I, I sort of got the nickname Rocket Man when I worked for Arnold at Arnold Air Force Station was uh, we had a, a set of satellites that were uh, supposed to last about eight years. And they were uh, capable of, of functioning properly for only about two. And so people were trying to understand what was going wrong. So uh, I design, helped design and build a a, a small uh, uh, rocket propulsion system and uh, for a, a very large uh, vacuum chamber that allowed us to see whether or not it was the exhaust of the, uh, of the rocket itself and where they were located on the satellite that was actually contaminating the surfaces and therefore leading to degradation of optics and, and downstream it, it, it caused failure of the ability to use the satellite. And... Uh, you know, so that program was great fun. We had to put together uh, uh, an entire propellant system. We had to put together a, a feed system. We had to uh, uh, have a small uh, rocket system uh, that that had to be designed and built for both using both motor propellants and, and bipropellants. And um, uh, it was a huge success. So uh, we determined not only that what the problem was, but a solution to it. And so uh, those... Uh, they have other satellites uh, very similar that fly today, and they use that that technology. So anytime you have a problem that you solve, uh, you feel good about it. Uh, you know, I got involved in in big engines because we had meltdowns due to uh, uh, a uh, design flaw in the space shuttle main engine large nozzle, which consisted of ten one thousand and eighty tubes welded together, and and uh, when that nozzle went through its startup process, some of them were breaking. And when you break hydrogen and oxygen in the same environment, we all remember what happened when uh, Challenger flew. So uh, we had to redesign that nozzle. And I knew nothing about big engines. Uh, you know, my expertise was in uh, 
in 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 small guys, one pounders and less, uh, and one pound thrust and less, rather than than the the giant space shuttle main engine. So it was a learning process. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I think of all the things that I ever got involved in was uh, designing and building the first uh, uh, actual laser propelled rocket, and did that at Marshall Space Flight Center. And I was excited. I didn't get to finish the project because we had a problem on the shuttle, the shuttle engines, and uh, I got redirected. That's what I found out about. Even though I was a scientist and did pretty well, what I pleased at work, as long as I got my projects done, I found out what it was like to have a boss. Mm-hmm. Where I, I told my boss, uh, Mr. Lombardo, uh, thank you, sir, for the offer, but I have no interest in working on shuttle engines. And he said, oh, you don't seem to understand how this works. Uh-oh. And I go, well, sir, I'm really happy uh, doing my, my, my laser rocket work. And he goes, and this is not about your happiness. This is about solving a problem. And uh, he said, you're now the new uh, DVS on, this, on, the, on the main nozzle, on the, on the large nozzle. I said, "What, sir?" He says, "Our discussion's over." Mm. So I went down the hallway to, and uh, stopped in one of the offices uh, in the combustion group, and I said, "Hey guys, what, what's a, what's a DVS?" And they said, "You don't know what that is." I said, "No." And so, what's a design verification specification engineer? Why'd you ask us? He goes, "Because I am one." <laughs> so that was how I got into big, big engines. Oh. Science in action, engineering in action. Right. Well, there's this big push into commercial space, as we talked about at the top of the show, and space tourism is taking off. Please help us understand, where does space really begin and end, and, and what does that mean to make an astronaut? Well, there, there, it's, it's been an ongoing argument. It originally got uh, settled on by uh, uh, one of the committees that uh, you know, would be defined as the von Karman line, um, and basically it's about 75 miles into space. So, uh, you know, the very first launch that we had was Shepard. Uh, he crossed that line significantly. And, um, uh, you know, and so astronaut wings were being awarded to anyone that got above. Because you can fly some, uh, you know, you can fly the U-2 pretty high. You can fly the SR-71 pretty high. You can, you can there are things that can get up there uh, other than rocket-propelled vehicles. And uh, so where are you going to draw the line? Who's a, an aeronaut and who's an astronaut? And so, uh, so they said, okay, if you've been above the von Karman line, and up until commercial space, we'd pretty well uh, thought that was the case. Whether they called you an astronaut or a taikonaut or a, a cosmonaut, they they all considered that same. And um, and with some of the commercial ventures that weren't going quite that high, uh, the purist was a hey, you know, you didn't make it. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Bezos was criticized for that. I do notice in the in the the latest uh, launch uh, uh, where uh, 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 Captain Kirk and the others flew that they did make it above that line, and so uh, they could legitimately earn uh, uh, astronaut wings if there are such a thing. And uh, so it, it was, uh, you know, Captain Kirk uh, being an old Star Trek lover, and most of us that ever saw it really were uh, he and Spock and the others. Um, uh, I'm glad that Shatner's wings have a little more validity to them than, than so that people won't criticize that. Not at all honorary. He made the line. He made the, he made the line, I think, yes. V- very good. And, and with, as you say, Captain Kirk, uh, William Shatner going into space not so long ago as a space tourist, how safe is it really? 
Well, you know, I, I did some of the original safety analysis on the shuttle, and and we were pretty close to accurate with regard to how safe it was. And, uh, you know, you do probabilities, and and so, you know, the, the odds were about, at that time, seemed to be about 1 in 25 that we could have a significant um, uh, malfunction. Not the major malfunction we had, but but at least one that would could drink the vehicle and perhaps even lose a crew, et cetera. And, and I would guess I have not had, I've not been privy to the information that the commercial companies are using or the data they're going on. But, and, and of course, SpaceX lost some vehicles early, uh, unmanned, of course. So I would be surprised since many of the technologies are the same. Uh, the computer technologies are much better, no doubt about that. Uh, but uh, I'd be surprised that they're, much safer than they were then. Um, I wouldn't say they're not as safe. Uh, NASA might say that. I don't know. But uh, I would be uh, surprised that that 1 in 25 isn't a reasonable number for them. And we haven't had that many yet, so we'll see. So we'll see. And probabilities, are the, you know, people don't understand. Every time you launch, is still 1 in 25. doesn't mean 25 launches later something's going to happen. It just means each time you step in the vehicle, there's a 1 in 25 chance, if that is an accurate number, that you'll have a major problem. Well, Dr. McKay, unfortunately, we're out of time for this episode. Please stick around, though, and we'll bring you back for part two. Thank you. That's all for this edition of Today in STEM. I'm Wes Sumner. Today in STEM is brought to you by the Florida Institute of Technology and WFIT. More information available at WFIT dot org.